0: Good morning. Happy Monday to you all. Welcome to Live with Doug. My name is Doug, and we are live here on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, and we are thinking through God's word together. Good to see you all this morning. Good morning, Alan and HD and James and Keith and the rest of you. Glad that you are with us. Uh, It's not too late. You can still sign up uh, for the New Covenant School of Theology course that starts tonight, 5.30 Mountain Time, uh, Mountain Daylight Standard Time, I guess I need to say now. Uh, We meet on Zoom, so anybody can join us. And uh, we are studying Acts, 1 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians over the next four weeks, Monday and Tuesday nights, 5.30 to 8.30 Mountain Time. And uh, we'd love to have you. So uh, there's a link in the description. Go to newcovenantschooloftheology.org, apply, and I will get that this afternoon and still be happy to admit you if you're interested in uh, taking that class, you can audit it for $50 or you could get a certificate of biblical theology for $250. Uh, Anyway, sign up for that. It's going to be a great class. Uh, All right. Well, today we're continuing our study of the flesh and the spirit, two realms, and we are finally going to get into Romans 7 a little bit, but we have more groundwork to do. So let me uh, pull up for you the the chart that I've been showing you. uh, As we looked at chapters five and six of Romans, we saw that Paul is describing two realms. And let me just pull that up for you. These are the two realms here. On the one hand, we have the realm uh, over which Adam is the representative. And as Paul has argued through chapter 5 and chapter 6, in that realm, sin reigns and death reigns. And the wages of sin in that realm is death. That is true of all mankind. All uh, sinned in Adam and therefore all die. And compare that to the, the right side there, the, uh, the realm in which Messiah Jesus is the representative, Christ himself. And grace reigns. And the end result of being in that realm is that death doesn't have the last word, right? Life in the ages to come. That is that is what is true for those who are in Christ, those who are under this other realm or live in this other realm. So we're going to hold off on the right side now until we get to chapter 8, predominantly. Uh, but we're going to focus in on this uh, this other age here uh, for a moment uh, as we get into today. So let me just, there we go. So in this realm, again, Adam is the, the representative, sin reigns, death reigns. And remember Paul in chapter six described who we were when we lived in that, that realm. We were the old man. And I, I think I stress this and I want to stress it again. Paul doesn't say anything here about the old nature, It's not what he says. That's how we often think of it. It's how we're, we're, if you look in your study Bibles and things, uh, that's what you'll see. But it's not old in nature. That's your whole being, not just part of you. Your whole being, that was the old man, the person you were as a descendant of Adam in this realm where sin and death reigned. That's, That's who we were. And we had this body of sin that controlled us. And made us a slave to sin. We saw that over and over and over again. You were enslaved to sin. Uh, and that led to lawlessness, great wickedness and sin and uncleanness. And, and we did things of which we are now ashamed, Paul said. Now, you know, we're, we're studying this and there's a, a theological element here. And it's easy for us to get kind of heady and, uh, and abstract. But I just want to take the moment to make sure that we reflect on this. This is who we were. This is who you were. This is who I was before we became Christians. That's a big deal. We were that old man. We were enslaved to sin. And of course, that should provoke great rejoicing to consider that that's not who we are. We're in that other realm. But also make us realize this is who unbelievers are today. Your friends, your family, the whole world outside of Christ, They're that old man in the kingdom of death and sin, and they're enslaved to sin, and they do lawless deeds, and they do things of which they should be ashamed. We just should not be surprised when those who are enslaved to sin commit all kinds of acts of wickedness. That's the plight of everyone who has not been delivered into this other realm. So I just want to make sure as we go through this, this doesn't stay just an abstract concept for us. Maybe your next door neighbor is not a Christian. He or she is a slave to sin. Maybe your dear friend, maybe your your child is not a Christian. He or she is a slave to sin in the kingdom of death. And the only way they can escape that kingdom is to... Put their faith in Jesus. So I just I just want to make sure that we don't uh, make this too abstract. Okay, so that's the realm, and the the last thing uh, that I didn't highlight there, but death rules, death reigns, the wages of sin, what everyone in this realm has earned, both as being a descendant of Adam and then through their own sin, is death rules. Everyone's going to die. That's that's where it's at. That, that's what this leads to. Now, the question is before us, were the Jews any different? The Jews received the law, right? So, so in Adam, all sinned, all will die. You've got generation after generation of people who are in Adam, as you trace history, trace biblical history through, all these people died over and over and over again. Well, then in Exodus 20, you know, many many years after adam was born god brings the law to the specific people the jews and the question is are the jews transferred out of this kingdom simply because they have the law are they no longer in the kingdom of death where sin and death reign are they are they no are they no longer the old man do they no longer have the body of sin are they no longer enslaved to sin and so on are they released from this realm by having the law? Does God give them law and now suddenly they're new creatures? That old man is dead. They're living in righteousness. They are freed from sin and they have life in the ages to come because they have the law. Is that true? Of course not. Now, remember I told you when you read Romans, and this is somewhat true in all of Paul's writings, but especially Romans, he makes statements early on and then continues to, to expound on them, to, to expand, to, to unpack, as we like to say, to, to come back to these things and weave them through as he, as he tells his story, as, as he teaches what he's teaching. And he has already laid the groundwork for chapter 7 all the way back to early chapter 1. So let's take a look at that. And I want to show you this as we prepare to answer the question, which is what we started with. What does he mean by flesh when he gets to chapter seven? So let's uh, look at this uh, together as we go back to Romans one here. The theme verses, great verses of chapter one. For I, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of it. Why not, Paul? For it is the power of God, the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ is the power of God for what? For salvation. This word means to be rescued or delivered. So people need to be rescued or delivered from something. What do they need to be rescued from? What do they need to be delivered from? Well, hopefully you've already seen it as we've looked at chapter 6, as we uh, rehearse this in the in the chart there. We need to be delivered from, saved from death, the power of sin, and the condemnation that comes from disobeying God. He's going to continue to to explain this. So the question I want to hone in on today is, were the Jews any different? Did they need to be rescued and delivered from the the power of sin and and from the wrath that their sin deserves? Well, he's already addressing that here in this verse uh, at the beginning of, of Romans. Look, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to whom? To everyone who believes and then... He adds, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The Jews are not exempt from their desperate need of deliverance, of salvation from sin and death and judgment. You see that. So right here at the beginning, he's saying the Jews need this as much as the Greeks do. The Greek is just another word for Gentile. Everybody needs this. Everybody's condemned before God. Everybody needs the good news of Jesus Christ. And everyone who believes in Jesus, everybody, everyone who believes the gospel is saved, is rescued, is delivered from sin and death from that realm on the on the chart that we looked at here. The gospel is the power of God to deliver people, and the Jews need it as much as the Gentiles. That's where he's going with this. For in it that is in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous man shall live by faith, not by law-keeping. See that? And then chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men. Now, he's going to go on and describe, and we looked at this in an earlier uh, lesson, he's going to go on and describe what we think of as mostly the Gentiles and how the Gentiles abandoned the God that, that they know exists as creation reveals this God, and they abandoned that God to serve the creature, and they made all kinds of idols. Right, we we talked about this. They they took wood and stone and they carved it into different idols and bowed down before those idols uh, to worship them. Uh, he describes this here in verse uh, 22, professing to be wise. These are you know, men who think they're all they have all the wisdom and, and know-how. They became fools and they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling things. And again, we think of this as the Gentiles, which probably is what Paul has in mind. But guess what? The Jews were just as idolatrous as the Gentiles. King Solomon, David's son, great King David, who's a type of Christ, who is the one who, who sat on the throne. He was called a man after God's own heart. His son, led Israel into more idolatry than just about anyone else. We looked at this in our study of Ecclesiastes. We looked at this in other places. Uh, We all, it's easy to think that, that Solomon's great sin was polygamy. No, polygamy was not illegal in the Old Covenant. His sin was not having all those wives and concubines. Nowhere is he rebuked for having all those wives and concubines. Solomon's sin was he married foreign women and allowed them to bring their idols to Judaism and he built high places for them he was swayed by their wives and he led Israel into great idolatry and his sons continued the pattern of leading the Jews into idolatry and we see as the kingdom is split into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom as you read through 1st and 2nd Kings and 1st and 2nd Chronicles you see that in both Judah and Samaria, Israel and uh, Judah, you see great idolatry bowing down before these images. Read the first 20 chapters of Ezekiel, and that's just one place, of course, but God is brutal in his accusations against the idolatry of Israel, God's chosen people, and they were no better than the Gentiles in terms of their idolatry and wickedness and sin. So in chapter two, Paul says, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. This is, this is severe. This is hard news. Everyone who has sinned against God is going to stand before him on that day and all of their stubbornness and unrepentant heart, all of the sin they've committed as they've stored it up, it's going to be unleashed, God's wrath and righteous judgment. And notice he says here, who will render to each person according to his deeds. And he lays out the two options. To those who by perseverance in doing good, So if you persevere in doing good and you seek for glory and honor and and immortality, your retribution, so to speak, your your reward, I should say, is life of the ages. That's what you get if you persevere, if you're perfect, if you're holy. And if everything you ever do is righteous, you'll get eternal life, life in the ages. But what about those of us who aren't in that camp, which is everyone, right? Right. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, what do they get? Wrath and indignation. He goes on. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil. And he wants to make sure we get these categories. Of the Jew first. And also of the Greek. The Jew simply by having the law is in no better situation than the Gentile. If they don't keep the law, if they don't obey. Do you see what his his point is? They will get tribulation and distress. Even the Jews will get it if they sin. But glory and honor and peace is the outcome for everyone who does good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. You see what he's setting up here? If you're a Jew listening to this, you have the law. Great. Did you keep it? Did you obey God perfectly? If you did, you're golden. You have life of the ages to come. But if you didn't keep the law, if you are a lawbreaker, you are no better off than the Gentiles. I hope you see that. This is so important. The Jews thought they were safe because they had the law. And Paul here is telling them, as a Jew who knows this full well, saying, You're not safe in God's eyes. You're not rescued from sin and death and judgment by having the law. The Jew is only saved from those things if they keep the law. Why? For there is no partiality with God. He's not going to judge the Jews righteous simply because they have the law. For all who have sinned without the law, that's the Greeks or the Gentiles, they will perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law, they will be judged by the law, guilty. For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. And we talked about this, uh, so I'm going to skip on over it now to verse 17 to continue his, his look at the Jews. But if you bear the name Jew, okay, so you're, you're a Jew, you have the law, and you rely upon the law, and you boast in God because you have the law. And you know his will, because you have the law. And you approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law. And you're confident you yourself are a guide to the blind, because you have the law. You're a light to those in the darkness because you have the law. You're in darkness, people. Come on over here. I can show you what is true and right before God because I have the law. And you are a corrector of the foolish. You can go to those pagans, those who profess to be wise, who are, who are fools. And you can go to those fools and you can correct them by showing them the law. Right? He's describing Jews here. And you are a teacher of the immature having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of truth you therefore who teach others do you not teach yourself now implied in that question is an answer no you don't teach yourself right he's exposing the sin and hypocrisy and self righteousness of the jews They had the law. They thought they were all these things. They were confident to guide the blind. They were confident to correct the foolish and teach the immature. And they had this law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth. But they didn't teach themselves. They did not obey. You who preach that one should not steal, do you steal? The answer is, yes, they did. You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? Yes, they did. You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Yep. You who boast in the law, through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? Yes. And I think I referenced this one other time. The Greek, in the Greek, there's no question marks. The, the original language didn't have punctuation. This is translated here with a question mark. I think here he's making an assertion. Either way, it communicates the same point. But I think he's saying, this is true of you Jews, or in his case, we Jews. You boast in the law. Through your breaking the law, you dishonor God. And then he quotes from Isaiah, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you just as it is written. See the point? He's quoting from the Old Testament saying, this is true of the Jews. Because they broke the law, uh, the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because these Jews who were supposed to be speaking for God and had his law and were God's chosen people, they continue to sin, they're no better than the Gentiles. For indeed, and this is getting closer to what we need to understand, chapter seven. Indeed, circumcision, that's the mark in the Jew, right? The physical mark in the male Jew, circumcision of the foreskin, circumcision is of value, or more literally, it's a benefit if you practice the law. But if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So catch his point. Obviously, he's not saying that you males, you male Jews, you get this this mark in your flesh where they cut off the foreskin. He's not saying that if you break the law, somehow that foreskin grows back, right? It's not his point. His point is, circumcision has benefit for you as a Jew. It attaches you to the law. It is the mark in your body that you are a Jew. It made you part of the old covenant. It bound you to the terms of that covenant. The terms of the covenant were, if you obey the law, you'll be blessed. If you disobey the law, you'll be cursed. Cursed. Well, that mark in your body is of value. It it benefits you if you keep the law. But what about the Jew who breaks the law? He's no better than the Gentile. He's still a sinner destined for death and judgment and wrath and retribution of the holy righteousness of God. You see that? And that's what he means here if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. He's not talking about the mark in the body now. He's saying you're no better than the Gentile because it's not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers, what he said in chapter 2. Then he gives this infuriating to the Jew comparison, this this analogy. If the uncircumcised man, if the uh, the Gentile, if he were to keep the requirements of the law, would will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? See that he's saying the gentile who obeys God actually becomes circumcised. Not not in the foreskin of his of his flesh, but he's actually doing the law, he's actually pleasing God, he's obeying, which which is better than the Jew who has the mark in his body who doesn't keep it you see that and he who is physically uncircumcised if he keeps the law will he not judge you who though having the letter of the law and circumcision are a transgressor of the law you see the point if the jew if the gentile were to keep the law he would actually stand in judgment and be able to judge the jew who had circumcision because the disobedient Jew is no better than the Gentile in fact he's regarded now as a as a lawbreaker as a Gentile and the the Gentile who would keep the law he would be regarded as a Jew as though he's circumcised because he actually did what the law required now for for chapter 7 there are two things that you have to catch here paul is already setting up his his point notice he says the uncircumcised person who keeps the law He will judge you who though having the letter, letter, write that, let that sink in. Chapter two, he's talking about the Jew under the law who has the letter of the law. What is the letter of the law? All right, I'm going to give you a chance. I want you to answer that question in the chat here. What is the letter of the law in this context? He's describing the difference between a Gentile and a Jew. Gentiles had the actual mark of circumcision in their body. Gentiles didn't have that. That was not a Gentile thing. I mean, there were some Gentile nations that did it, but this was the special, unique mark of the Jew. And the Jews had the letter. What letter did they have? Anybody anybody got it? It's very important for chapter 7. Realize you're about 10 seconds behind here. So let me uh, let me see if anybody jumps in here. He's describing the difference between Jews and Gentiles. One ju- difference is the mark of circumcision, and the other is the Jews had the letter. And the uh, translators here of the NAS add for us a um, uh, the uh, italicized part here. That means it's not in the original, but uh, but they're interpreting it for you, the letter. James says letter equal written. Yes, in particular, where was it written down? What, what is the written law that he's talking about when he says the letter of the law? Well, I'm just going to give it to you. Uh, James is right on it here. The Ten Commandments, written by God's finger, on tablets of stone, right? That's the that's the law. Yeah, Jose or Jesus got it. Stone. Uh, Dale got it. The Decalogue or Torah. Yeah, the the Ten Commandments. the 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 law written by the finger of God on the tablets of stone. That's what he means by letter. Hold that in your thinking. It's going to be very important for chapter seven. So you who are physically uncircumcised, that's the Gentiles. If he keeps the law, he will not will he not judge you who, though having the letter. The Ten Commandments, the stone tablets, and circumcision. All right? So that's his point. Verse 28. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh in the flesh write this down highlight this put it in your in your Bible draw a little uh, note uh, arrow something to point you toward chapter seven. the letter of the law here are the ten Commandments written in stone and he is referring to the flesh he's using circumcision if you know your Old Testament this will not surprise you. Read through Genesis 17. Genesis 17 is where God first gives the requirement of circumcision. He gives it to Abraham. Abraham's old man, 100 years old, right? Almost. He is an old man. And God says, I'm requiring you, Abraham, and all of your male descendants and everyone in your household, every male in your household, to be circumcised in the foreskin of the flesh. Over and over and over again, that phrase is in Genesis 17. The foreskin of the flesh, foreskin of the flesh, foreskin of the flesh, over and over again. And on that day, when God gave that requirement, Abraham and his sons and all the males in his household, they were all circumcised in the foreskin of their flesh. Paul is going to continue this association of flesh, referring to circumcision and the law, the letter of the law. We'll come back to that in a moment. But he wants to, I want to continue his argument. So he's not a Jew who's one outwardly, who has the foreskin of the flesh. But he's a Jew who's one inwardly. And the circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter fascinating. You're not simply in right standing with God because you have this mark in your body and you have the written law, the the 10 commandments. No, the spirit has to do the work. And and it's not the the physical foreskin of your male uh, genitalia that needs, that sets you apart for God. It's having the spirit. Okay. So then he goes on and describes a little bit about uh, if that's the case, then is there any advantage of being a Jew? Is there any advantage of having circumcision? You could see why somebody would ask that, right? He just said it's not about this mark in your body. It's not about having the law. It's about being marked in this in the heart by the Spirit. So, what's the point of being a Jew? And he goes on to explain. There's much in every way for the physical Jews, um, and it, it's a it's a pretty thick argument. I'm not going to take the time here to get into it. But he says there was advantage to being that, but did circumcision, did having the the stone tablets, the letter of the law. Did that save anyone from the wrath of God? And the answer is an emphatic no. In chapter 3, verse 9, he says, What then? Are we Jews better than they Gentiles? Not at all. Think about that. We Jews are not better than the Gentiles At all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all what? Under sin. That chart, Jews are under sin. Jews are in the realm of Adam, sin reigns. Death reigns. They are the old man, just like Gentiles. They have a body of sin. They're enslaved to sin. They commit lawlessness and uncleanness. They do things that, are, that, that they are ashamed of. Death rules. This is true. Jews and Gentiles. We've already charged that, he said. In what he's just said, he just explained, the Jews are no better off than the Greeks. They are under master sin, enslaved to sin, bound for death and the wrath of God. Having the law and having circumcision does nothing to change that for the Jews. Why the law then? Chapter 5, verse 20, to increase sin, to show everyone this is true, to show the Jews this is true. They are desperately in need of salvation from the wrath of God and enslavement to sin. Tracking with me? All right, so our time is running out. Let me just set this up for tomorrow for chapter 7. He's talking to Jews. I just want to read these few verses in chapter 7, and some of you probably have already figured out where Paul's going here. He's talking to Jews, and I'll show you this tomorrow, that he's talking to Jews. Therefore, my brethren, that's his term for the Jews, his brothers, you, you Jews, also... Also, just like the Gentiles he's been talking about in chapter 6, you also, well, uh, anyway, I got <laughs> I got to move on. We'll come back to that. You also were made to die to the law. Do you see that? This is actually good news for the Jews. You were made to die to the law. How? Through the body of Christ, through the body of the Messiah. For this purpose, so that you might be joined to another. So you were joined to the law. Again, I will come back and show you all this tomorrow. You were joined to the law, but you died through the body of Christ to that law so that you could be joined to another. Who other? To him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. While they were in the law, they couldn't bear fruit for God. I'll show you that tomorrow too. For while we were in the flesh. The we here, is we Jews. I'll show you that tomorrow. If you look back at verses 1 through 3, you'll see that. We Jews were in the flesh. What does this imply? We're not in the flesh. How did we get out of the flesh? How did they, those Jews get out of the flesh? They died to the law. Do you see the connection? Already in chapter 2, there's a connection between the being in the flesh, which is circumcision, under the law. Here he is bringing that back. We Jews When we were under the law, we were in the flesh. They're not under the law anymore. Therefore, they are not in the flesh. This is a Jewish concept, this flesh. While we were in the flesh, the sinful passions, enslaved to sin, which were aroused by the law, the law came in so that sin would increase. Those sinful passions were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. You see what he's doing? He's taking this concept from chapter six, the old man, the body of sin, enslaved to sin, and he's using now the term flesh to describe the circumcised one, circumcised in the flesh, to describe the Jew as the old man enslaved to sin, the old man in that body of sin. Under the law. You see that? This is a Jewish concept. This is not a Gentile concept. I know our time is fleeting. I'm just going to go quickly through this. We'll come back and unpack all this tomorrow. But I wanted to see the setup that he gave us in chapters 1 and chapter 2. While we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law. We Jews have been released from the law. Having died to that by which we were bound. How'd they die? By believing in Jesus. We'll come back to that. So that we Jews serve in the newness of the spirit, not in what? The oldness of the letter. Now we can bear fruit for God. Now Jews who are in Christ can bear fruit for God because they're not enslaved to sin. They're not in that other camp anymore than other realm and they serve God in the newness of the holy spirit they don't serve him in the oldness of the 10 commandments the letter do you see that so important to understand the context here all right well our time is has uh, has moved on past so i'm going to i'm going to call it a day there if you have comments and questions about this please put it in the comments uh, in a moment and i'll go back look at them and, and address them but you might want to go back and watch this again and, and look at the chart and compare it. And we will, we'll come back tomorrow and show how this is true all the way through here of chapter 7 and see what argument Paul is making through chapter 7. So I know I didn't give you much time today. I'll, I'll take more questions as we go tomorrow. Have a great Monday. God bless you. And uh, we will see you tomorrow.